Welcome to the OmniTalk Spotlight Series with Chris Walton and Ann Mazinga, the series where we highlight the people, the technologies, and the companies that are shaping the future of retail. Today's episode is all about the changing metrics of success across the retail industry. And who better to understand that topic than the folks at Nielsen IQ. So we are pleased to be joined today by Liz Buchanan and Natalie Williams, both of Nielsen IQ. Liz is the head of consumer intelligence for North America, and Natalie is the vice president of product. Liz and Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're super excited to be here. This is a blast. Like, Anne, are you pretty? Are you pretty jazzed? I am. Yeah. I'm, I. I want to start the conversation first. Um, Liz and Natalie, you have to tell us. We all we've heard of Nielsen, but tell us specifically because you've had a rebrand that's happened recently. Now it's Nielsen IQ. Can you break that down for me and for the other listeners? Absolutely. Um, we are a brand new company as of a few weeks okay. ago. Yep, so Nielsen IQ, um, but we bring with us our 100 year plus heritage. So as part of the broader Nielsen family, we started things back in 1933, actually, um, with Art Nielsen. And that was the guy's the, name, Art Nielsen. Art yes, Nielsen. Art Nielsen. Okay, so we actually had a, had a name of AC Nielsen in the past as well. So that may right. be familiar for some folks. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, but now we're at Nielsen IQ, so brand new company and we are continuing Art Nielsen's legacy of really that market share um, record that all CPG and retailers use um, in the boardrooms and to really understand their performance. We do that across 100 countries. So we're all over the world, developed markets, developing markets. Um, and we do that in many different ways. So we track both what's sold in retail as well as shopper behavior that drives those retail sales um, around the world. And how do you do that? Can you tell us a little bit about the, how you're collecting that information? Like maybe how it started and then kind of how it's evolved? Absolutely. Uh, some of the original practices, which we still apply in some of the developing markets around the world are really an audit-based methodology. So we would go out to retail shops, you know, that don't have electronic point of sale systems right. back in the day in developed countries, but also still today around the world and, and collect inventories and sales levels from different uh, retail stores. So we'd have a sample of stores and then project that out to represent um, a market. So whether that's um, China or Turkey or the US, um, we're, we're capturing sales at retail using a variety of technologies today, heavily point of sale system-based um, in developed countries, and then extrapolating that out to, to represent the universe of sales. And it's just become more evolved since then. So I can I can only I can only imagine that you know Arthur back in the day how he was trying to tabulate everything. He must have been like a like a like a closet statistician back. You know what yes. was it? Yeah, is he was? Yeah. 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 Well, you know it's interesting. So as we've with the the new Nielsen IQ organization have separated more formally from our our media counterparts, and a lot of people know Nielsen as the television ratings. That brand right, right has a lot of right. Uh, brand recognition, but actually the um, retail and CPG side of the business was the initial Nielsen business. Nielsen started as a measurement index in retail and drug, um, and he invented market share long before he ever invented television ratings. So the the original kind of Nielsen is is the Nielsen IQ half of, of the equation. That's a pretty cool claim. I invented market share. Yeah. I, love that. I love that we I know, started with I, I invented market share as the guy who started Nielsen. That's pretty cool. Right. Well, hey, I, 
Oh, go ahead, Liz. Yeah. No, I was just saying, right? Like it's, it, we all take it for granted, but yeah, somebody had to come up with it. Right. It was well, not something well, that we knew about. Yeah, and and name. Arthur apparently Chris is already calling him Arthur instead of Art <laughs> Nielsen, like they're best buddies from camp or something. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah, well, hey, well, I try to be formal. I try to give the gentleman his proper due and respect. But but anyway, what? Okay, I want to get into it though. Let's. I, and I want to get. Let's get into it right from the get go here. I think that's perfect background in terms of who you guys are, why the rebrand with Nielsen IQ relative to the legacy. But there's been a ton of talk in the media of late. Uh, it's really gaining steam in terms of retailers using new metrics to measure their performance. You know, landlords are, you know, haggling with retailers now on like what the right sales metric is for their stores. You've got some retailers saying, look, I'm not even going to look at things like comp store sales anymore. Like what's, what's right, what's wrong in these approaches? Like, how do you guys think about this question? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really interesting question. I think there've been to your point, some, some brands in the news, you know, sort of saying that they're not going to be tracking comp or same store sales this year, just given what happened in 2020 and, and the disruption to, you know, the, the ability for end consumers to sort of walk into a store to purchase. And so I think, you know, we're seeing that and we're getting asked that question a lot, um, you know, by our, our clients. And, there's an interesting intersection here around how omni a business is and kind of what form uh, you know, of omni um, that business is taking. So for example, it, for a traditional grocery retailer who has a large click and collect business, same store sales were probably up in 2020 because even if the shopper didn't walk the aisles, their purchases still went through the store's cash register, right? And so if the retailer was one though that pivoted or had a heavier ship to home or direct to consumer, then that's obviously a different story. So it sort of also begs the question about the the future of their real estate profile. And you see a lot of retailers with these large real estate footprints pivoting to using that space differently. And I think, you know, arguably arguably this was happening pre-COVID, but COVID accelerated it. And so, you know, this is where you see um, stores turning toward optimizing back of store, front of store for fulfillment, actually using store locations for pure fulfillment, um, pivoting into growth businesses like healthcare services. And, you know, all of these customers are trying to figure out how do we not only optimize kind of the, the real estate that we've got, but then how do we account for that and what level of measurement is required and necessary as a barometer at this stage? Um, so yeah, absolutely. A question we're getting all the time, really interesting. And I, I don't think there's a one size fits all is the way right. that I would sort of level that up. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that's our position too. I mean, I think it's fun to hear like the sound bites of we're not going to report comp store sales. We're just going to look at things like net sales. And yeah, that makes sense. But like in some degrees, but at the end of the day, that it's what are you looking at when and what type of retail are you doing and what's most important to you to give you that 360 perspective. Natalie, why is that 360 perspective just so hard to come by though? Like, why is this even a topic of conversation? Like when you stop and think about it, like some of this seems really straightforward. It's like, where are my sales ha- happening? Why are they happening there? What does it mean? And what should I do about it? But that's not easy. So why has that been so difficult historically? Yeah, it's, I think if you put yourself in the retailer's shoes, they a lot of our retailers struggle to even understand their own sales behavior internally. And a lot of that's because they've expanded beyond the traditional brick and store kind of metrics and systems in order to meet this growing e-com demand. So 
whether that's spinning up their own click and collect or delivery services or partnering with third parties. Now you have all these new um, data streams that aren't necessarily coming together inside a retailer's four walls or comparable, you know, to really um, combine to, to have a harmonized view. So that's within their own uh, organization. And from a market share perspective, it's been increasingly difficult to understand, you know, where I stand. Hmm. Not only um, is the market, the pie essentially continuing to grow and fragment, meaning like who a retailer thought their competitors were yesterday or a year ago, you know, aren't who they're losing to today. And we've seen that really um, growing and, and just expanding the, the shifting potential over the past year with, with the growth of e-com stores closing for you know, several reasons over the past year. It's like, well, where did my shoppers go? And if, even if a retailer is growing overall, it's like, am I keeping pace with my competitors or not? So without the kind of understanding your own sales behavior and your a comprehensive competitive set, which is a challenge for many, um, right. you may not know, you know, you may be shooting in the dark. So there's, okay. So I want to make sure I pull that back. So there's two, there's two fundamental issues here at play then. So one is the retailers themselves, how their business has been evolving, has been changing. And that's led to disparate sources of data and the ability to understand data in different places in different ways has become more, more complicated say, and the probably the easiest is online versus in store. Yep. But then you're saying too, that there's a second level, which is actually, there's other online players and there's other online outlets for those retailers. I'm thinking things like marketplaces, mm -hmm. Instacart, things like that. The new upstarts through Facebook and Instagram that are selling direct to consumer. It's really hard to also keep pace on how the new entries in those arenas are also impacting the retailer's market share day in and down. Is that the right assessment there? Exactly. I mean, one good example, which we've really seen um, explode over the past year has been, or the past several years has been Shave, just as an example. So okay, yeah, right, perfect. Razors and blades. Mm -hmm. I'm a retailer, like traditionally looking at their, you know, Shave category, you have manual razors, you have electric razors. And with the boom of direct to consumer subscription services and e-com avenues of fulfilling those types of items, like your competitive, competitive set is totally different. And if you're losing your buyers, like say Shave was a common reason why uh, shoppers would shop your store, a trip driver, and now you lose that consumer to a subscription service, it's like, are they still coming into your store for anything else, you know, or to get their, you know, their weekly um, shop done? So I think that's been a category, just one that's come top to mind, that's really fragmented and many methods of, of purchase. You've got the traditional e-com players like an Amazon you may buy from, You've got the core brick and mortar stores as well as their e-com storefronts that some have like a target or walmart.com, walgreens.com. And then you have all the direct to consumer and subscription services. So it's really a, an interesting dynamic we've seen play out. And um, that type of category, it's whether it's razors, pet food, diapers, you know, these like, right. I, need it all, I need it all the time. It's very repetitive, predictable purchase. Like those are, you know, going going very different directions than, than the traditional kind of brick and mortar competitive set. And uh, Natalie, oh, sorry, Liz. Sorry, Anne. I was just gonna ask quick, Natalie, does that impact comps too? I mean, as you look at, you know, one, you know, you have Walgreens using Instacart and you have CVS using DoorDash, for example, like as the third party uh, services that they're using start to become more different, um, are they, are you seeing like, it's harder to provide comps because there's different values for each retailer, one versus the other, or does that not matter? It's still. 
most of those third-party vendor transactions still happen at the point of sale at the end of the day. You know, they're sending shoppers into the store. They're still buying the item. So we're, right. you know, that store is getting the credit for that item. Even though the original consumer transaction took place, you know, elsewhere in one of those third-party platforms. So from a sheer, like, market share perspective, I think the sales are getting accounted for and same things for sales um, comparisons they're still getting accounted for. However, that consumer touch point is now has now gone elsewhere. So what otherwise okay. would have been a consumer going to the store, making a, sh- a purchase and p- potentially grabbing some, you know, other impulse items while they're there, this is a like strict list, they're buying off the list and that actual transaction with the consumer no longer happens with the retailer. Got it. So it's, um, yeah, I think it's, they're being accounted for, but the, the nuance of who owns like that shopper touch point has now moved and the ability to influence the shopper in the store um, no longer exists. Well, and that's an important layer too, right? I mean, Liz, like, how do you think about that? Like, I mean, it, it's not only like, what's my market share, but it's almost like the, why is my market share the way it is in terms of before so much of the insight was based on, you know, I, yeah, I remember hearing the term as a merchant share of shelf mm-hmm. and what's the activity that's happening there when I'm at shelf as a consumer, but now so much of the substitution decisions, you know, so much of the purchase decisions in that funnel are happening in all these other digital spheres it's hard to understand where that, I would imagine that it's hard to understand where that leakage is and what types of actions you need to take because you're, you're fighting a battle now on multiple fronts. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, you've, you've teed that up perfectly, Chris. So, you know, we've talked a lot here already about sort of market share as one piece of this. And for all the reasons that Natalie mentioned that has become increasingly complex, but there's another side of Um, what it takes to win in this space, what it takes to understand consumer and shopper behavior. And that is, how do you really get that rich consumer understanding? How do you know what is driving their purchase behavior? And how do you do that now across their entire omni, um, you know, sort of portfolio of options, right? And so we've had, for a long time, there have been Um, analytics in the marketplace that allow you to understand that more from a brick and mortar lens, but increasingly, and now urgently, it is, it's important that you understand that across the the entire Omni landscape. And so that's where um, augmented data sets, and and in particular, consumer sourced data is a really important secondary or even primary, in some use cases, um, overlay to making sure that you can truly understand not just you know, what has happened, but who was driving that, uh, that purchase? Um, why were they shopping the way that they were? What was in their basket when they were shopping outside of your store? What were they doing? And so we've been you know, working really hard, plainly, to, to actually bring solutions to market that help to illuminate those, the, the answers to those questions. And how do you fix that, Liz? Like, what are those solutions? How are they capturing data from the customers? Like, how do you really yeah. create that, that 360 view? Yeah, so Natalie and I maybe can tag team this one a little bit because she actually owns the product. But I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying um, we had to think very differently about the way that we architect those solutions. So right. I'll start first by saying it's, you know, it's a pivot to receipt capture. That's one major unlock for us. So that mm-hmm. a consumer in the moment is actually um, taking a photo of their receipt or entering information about their purchase onto an app that's on their phone, super simple, easy to do. And they're opting into doing that, right? So they're, they're um, opting into sharing that information. 
And that allows us to get to a number of different occasions um, that, that were harder to track previously. It might be something sure. like an on-the-go or convenience trip. It might be something like a direct-to-consumer or dot-com purchase that was harder to get previously. And that's, that's been a big unlock. But there, there are some others in this space, too, around um, the way that you know, you've probably seen a number of these kind of consumer-facing apps in the marketplace mm-hmm. today. There are big headlines about Fetch, for example, yesterday in the mm-hmm. news. And, and so there are ways, though, that you need to be able to manage that consumer sourced information that actually makes it useful to mm-hmm. an end retailer and brand in understanding that consumer journey and those consumer decision drivers. And so maybe Natalie would want to jump in and share a little bit more about how we do that. Yeah. How do you sure. develop a product around that, Natalie? I'm yeah, curious. That's like the big brain stuff here, Natalie. That's like, well, what are you doing there? <laughs> Yeah, so we, as Liz was mentioning, like you have to have the manage panel concept, which means we kind of choose intentionally who we want to be part of this panel to ensure they're kind of demographically, geographically representative of the US US population and that we're tracking 100% of all their transactions is our goal. So whether that's a brick and mortar purchase, whether it's a digital purchase or using a third party provider like an Instacart. Um, that all of those transactions are are collected and representative of their behavior. And then we incentivize, obviously, the panelists to participate and have, you know, the the right mechanisms in place to ensure they're they're being comprehensive with the tracking and embed as far as we can, like passive collection methods. So there isn't a burden and a lot of work on the actual panelists to, to provide their information. So some examples of the passive are more related to the digital purchase stream. So that's, think of your like email, email receipts um, or your, your order history. So at the end of the day, like the consumer owns their data related to their transactions and, and we want to partner with them and, and retailers and, and other tech uh, providers to, to collect as much of that information as we can um, digitally. Got it. And you guys have, you guys have been actively going at this. I mean, I think the point here too, is you guys have a new, new concept and solution all built around, you know, trying to bridge this gap between all those channels. Like talk, now talk more about that. Like what's, what's now in market that maybe wasn't there before. So it's called Omni Shopper. We're really excited about it. It's exactly uh, as we've described that kind of 360 view of shopper behavior online, offline. It's going to enable our clients or retailers and manufacturers to understand answers to these million dollar questions they've been, they've been wanting to answer such as like, am I losing to Amazon? Am I retaining those buyers when they shift to .com? Is it just shifting sales or is it truly incremental to what I would have otherwise captured through my physical store footprint? Um, so a lot of that kind of understanding consumer behavior change over time. So the same shoppers that bought before, are they buying the same later or after? Or are they changing and shifting their dollars between brands, between channels? To go back now as a merchant, like what is that or, or a category manager at a CPG? Like, what am I now able to do that I couldn't do before because of what you guys, what you guys are putting in the market? Yeah. So a, a retailer knows a lot about what happens inside their store, right? But they don't, and, and even increasingly within their, their .com, but they don't know what's happening outside of their store. So this allows them to understand what's happening so we'll use Walmart shoppers as an example. Sure. Walmart shoppers, how are they shopping outside of Walmart? What are they buying? And in particular, it's lighting up those use cases around 
Walmart.com purchasing. So what's a Walmart shopper doing on Amazon.com? What's a Walmart pet shopper doing on Chewy.com? Um, and then how do, how does Walmart essentially, you know, attract those buyers back to Walmart for those occasions or trips? So it illuminates that shopper behavior around things like what else is in the basket? Who is that shopper, right? What's their shopper profile? What's the portfolio of products that they're purchasing? Do I carry those products? Are they being driven to a dot-com because it's an assortment challenge, um, we're able to build, build shopper segments based on these, these behaviors. So it really illuminates and lights up kind of that rest of market view. And then also allows you to better understand your own shoppers as well. I mean, if, if you've got a rich loyalty data set today, it's a nice complement to that, to be able to understand additional uh, context around that shopper. Liz, are there any, is there anything you can tease about the data that surprised you? There's a lot that we're learning and uncovering and a lot of uh, really interesting insights. You know, I'll say something that I'm really excited about, maybe just to answer the question yeah. a little bit differently, is that we are tracking those marketplace providers. So think of okay. you know, an Instacart, a Postmates, an Uber Eats, and being able to understand behaviors around trips, uh, trips at Uber Eats, and essentially like what is someone who is using an Uber Eats doing then in the prepared food section at a Whole Foods? And that is a really interesting and new type of insight. And in particular with, you know, everything that's been going on around, um, you know, the, the kind of change in behaviors uh, over the last year, like I'm just excited to see what comes out of that. And frankly, I'm excited to see if I recognize more of my own behaviors in the data. <laughs> sure. I've become a, a very prominent um, user of those marketplaces. So, okay, hold on. Wait, wait. I want to make sure I understand what you just said, because that's yeah. pretty freaking cool. And I remember you talked to me about that a little while ago too, which I thought, yeah. I, know, I thought it was cool at the time too. So basically what you're saying, so a couple of things you just, you said, so like, as a merchant or category manager, I can basically come in on a regular interval, let's just say a Monday and basically now see, did I win or lose in which segments of the marketplace from an omni-channel perspective with a greater degree of confidence than I had before? Like that's yeah. number one. But what now you're saying too is as retail is changing and there's all these different dynamics, Uber Eats is a great example. Mm-hmm. Now, if say I'm a prepared meals shopper or I'm, a, or I'm in charge of that category, at, let's just use Walmart again, at Walmart, I can now see how those shoppers, how their behavior is changing towards now ordering Uber Eats on a consistent basis over time. Wow. And how much I might be leaking in that direction or how much that trend is moving. That's freaking fast. Oh my exactly. God. Okay. So you can see that now with what you yeah. guys are talking about. And it's really exciting. And in particular, we know a number of retailers, you know, have been contemplating or have actually executed partnerships or pilots with some of these delivery services. And so, yeah, a lot of really interesting, rich kind of information and intel that we can get from, from this information, from this new data, I'll say. God, that could make for some long Monday morning business update. <laughs> holy cow, going back to my days. God, if you had a really detailed like DMM or something, holy crap, that would be tough to yeah. get through. But that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, and, fun. And, that's, yeah that's no, really totally fun. fun. Like you could just yeah. like rabbit hole that, which is which is what you want to do, right? And exactly. what do you think? Well, and I think the the whole idea of of comps again, like going back into that and how you're looking at your competitors and what the data sets are telling you about how how that's affecting your competitors too. I mean, there are so many decisions that have to be made so quickly right now to adapt to these new consumer behaviors that I think it's just it's 
the more data you have the, to make those decisions, the better really. And it sounds like this is giving people a much better picture or a much longer Monday morning meeting as Chris mentioned. <laughs> we hope mm-hmm. not. We hope not. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to also be For the better. For the yeah, better. We're introducing some tech as well that we think will make getting the, to the insights on those things. Right. Quicker. More, yeah. No, more right. Just exactly. for the guy that wants to know everything, right. A guy or guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wait, hold on. You made, and you just made me think something else too. So like, but if I'm not doing this, then that reminds me of like the whole Indiana Jones quote, I'm digging in the wrong place. Like if I'm just still using my in-store data as a market share proxy, is that is that more dangerous almost in some ways than not using it? Like when just trying to think about, you know, how this is all playing out. Like, how do you mm-hmm. think about that, Liz? Yeah. Um, this is like a, this is a hugely debated question and one that we, we wrestle with a lot, but we okay. have a, a pretty strong point of view on, and that is that, you know, you've got leading and sort of lagging indicators and, and we yeah, think yeah. That the leading indicators around things like let's say digital shelf, right. And some of the KPIs that are really important there, share of search, search rank conversion, those types of things are critically important to understand but you've also got to make sure that you know what the outcome was, right? Are you, and that is only understood if you're measuring total performance and if you understand your own performance in the context of your true and total competitive set. And so we saw this past year that a lot of brands grew online, a lot of brands grew online. And so if you're looking at a pure growth metric and you say we're up 80%, well, super, like that is yeah, that right. is wonderful, but very few of those brands actually outperform the category and grew share. And so you have to actually think about this holistically and end to end. And so it's, it's not an, or it's an, and right. Yeah. It's both. It's both. I like how you said that if you're not doing it truly wholly omni-channel, you know, yeah. you're really not doing it, you know, in a lot of ways, or you're really just doing it, you know, with one eye closed, so to speak. Natalie, the question we always get to when we talk about this, or this is what comes into my mind as a former executive too, is like, why should I believe you guys that you guys could do this? Like, why do I know that the data is accurate? Like prove it, so to speak, sure. is what I'm asking you right now. Yeah. So on both, we have two products actually launching um, that we've alluded to. The Omni Shopper is the consumer-based, you know, understanding shopper behavior across channels. Okay. The second product is more around the market share topic, but that's our Omni sales product, which is understanding your, your market share against the Omni landscape. And both are based on kind of our wealth of truth set data. So we've kind of lived in this point of sale world, have, you know, data sharing agreements with all major retailers. And then we leverage consumer source data to fill in those blind spots. Because in the e-com world, there's thousands of merchants, you know, when you add all the DTC players and the marketplaces um, out there that it's will literally be impossible to go out and create engagements with each one of them to source data directly. So we leverage our very large consumer panel um, to, to collect transaction data for all of those, uh, the long tail. And we combine that, that true set data, yep. And then we sprinkle some magic um, secret sauce <laughs> with, our, with our data science organization that's really you know, world-class from a methodology perspective that uses that true set data, the true set data the consumer data and some kind of bigger data uh, benchmark truth sets, you know, from that can be examples of, you know, publicly available, you know, earnings reports and, and other calibration sets to, to make sure we've, we've hit the mark. Um, and, and the biggest proof is in the pudding, you know, when we deliver this data to retailers, you know, it, there's always a like, does it align with my internal, you know, view of the world? 
or brands, you know, because they have their own shipment data, they, you know, have mm-hmm. other data sources. And so the more we've had several of those kind of proof points already. So we feel confident uh, the data is, is highly accurate based on a really strong foundation and it will, it will get better as we go as well. You know, anytime you, you launch a product and have clients adopt it, you know, there's always that continuous feedback loop. Mm-hmm. What does it take to do this? Like, so like, is this an involved, like setup implementation process? Like if someone, you know, I mean, you guys have had services for a long time. Like, is it, is it a quick bolt on? Is it like, what are, what are we talking about here to get somebody's like, Hey, okay. I, this totally makes sense conceptually. I want to get going on this. Like, what are we looking at here? the building blocks and kind of getting all of the pieces right. So for example, coding all of the various items that are new to our reference and master data because they're new.com items is the long pole in the tent and the hardest lift. And we've done that. So that's the, that's the hard part. Now it's just a matter of what I would call kind of client configurations. Like you want to, you want to define your category a little bit differently than Nielsen defines it great, we can make that adjustment for you. Or you've got a data set that you think is a better truth set for a particular retailer and you want us to integrate that instead, no problem, we'll do that. And that's those are the types of configurations that we kind of work to align with you know, our customers on. Otherwise, it's, it's, you can take the product as it is and, and we'll deliver it to you pretty quickly. Right, based on what's in the market and what exactly. you're seeing in the trends there. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Natalie, Liz, I'm curious, both of you, as kind of we bring this conversation to a close, has, again, I'll ask, like, has there been an, an aha moment for you kind of in, in terms of like the data that you've been collecting, this omni-channel transformation? I mean, what, what are you seeing as you're kind of bringing this new product into the market uh, that you think is going to be a big area to help your retail clients or CPG clients? Sure. Um, I mean, something that popped to us, you know, as we closed out 2020 and, and really looked at this broader view is that food and beverage is the top CPG category online now. Mm. And food and beverage is always a holdout. If you can, you know, you think of even two, three years ago that they're like, you know, we'll never have double digit online penetration and food and bev, you know, people want to shop the store and, you know, select their own kind of perishable goods and, and that type of thing. And COVID really threw all of that um, thinking out, you know, to a large degree. And also where grocery retailers kind of adopted these either third-party providers like the Instacarts of the world or their own um, e-com and click and collect offerings, like they really brought food and beverage online in 2020. And so I think that's, you know, really interesting space, especially as you add in the, um, the food service or the restaurant uh, food and beverage landscape into this broader view, retailers now can understand, you know, like what's the appetite for digital prepared meals, you know, whether right. that's from a retail store or from a restaurant or a dark store, like maybe it doesn't even matter, um, mm-hmm. you know, like where, where it comes from. It's like, I want pizza or I want spaghetti and meatballs and um, being able to analyze data at that level across that full view, you know, is, is a really interesting new capability. And I think, you know, I'm most interested to see where food and beverage, bigger food and beverage, you know, prepared and, um, you know, ingredient shopping you may do in a traditional grocery store where that goes once, you know, the world opens back up. Wow. So I want to make sure I heard that right too, because that's, I think a pretty important, I always love, we always get this, and we always get the nuggets like right at the end too. Like, (laughs) but so you're saying like food and beverage is now volume-wise, dollar-wise, the biggest category that you're seeing online, even though it's still relatively less penetrated, that's how many dollars are there right now. Yep. It's so bigger than health and beauty, bigger than pets. 
I mean, yeah. I've never even stopped to think about that. Actually, that's and really that's crazy. That's new. That's new. That right. happened. That happened in 2020, right? For years, it was like it was pet. It was HBA categories, and right. yeah. And so yeah, so God, and this is just happening, and so like it just puts this whole conversation in a completely different context too than I expected when you say that in terms of just raw dollars. Liz, though, why, why did it, I'm curious, you're all hot too, because like, why did this take so long? Like, it feels like this isn't that new of an idea. It feels like, it feels like something that's been percolating in people's minds, you know, for, you know, I don't know, we've been, Anna and I've been talking about ourselves probably seven, eight years now. Like, you know, what is it that, that you take from this whole experience as you've watched this evolution? But I think there's a sort of broader change management component to this that we haven't really talked about. This is sure. the biggest change to the industry since category management was developed in the 80s. And so if you think about that, there's a there's sort of an acceptance period around leveraging consumer sourced information instead of point of sale information in order to mm. see blind spots illuminated, right? And so if you're um, used to a, a, a traditional kind of point of sale input to something, and now a consumer sourced input is, is a prominent input in that measurement tool, there's a set of just change management around that. Like, yeah. how do I use this? Do I use it the same way? Can I use it the same way? Um, and our answer is yes. Our answer is yes, you can use it the same way. And yes, you should be using it the same way. Um, but there still is a level of just, you know, comfort and, and maturity that is, that has had to sort of be developed around these assets. And I don't think it's unique to Nielsen IQ. It's an industry, no, totally, it's an 100%, industry yeah. acceptance, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, but we've seen that we've seen that change dramatically in the last year where everyone was caught off guard and essentially said like, whoa, I can no longer afford to not have something in this space. I have to have something in this space. And yes, I'll take the consumer sourced information because you're right. Like it is telling me that I need to behave differently or it, it is giving me those insights that I, were pre I was previously blind to. And so we've just seen a, a, a pretty big um, change in the adoption uh, you know, kind of curve over the past 12 months, which has been really good for us because we're really excited about these new solutions. And um, we, we think they're absolutely going to be a mainstay now. It's, it's going to be unlikely that we go back to pure kind of point of sale as the only approach to measurement. And so this is the next frontier of measurement for us. And, and we're excited that it, you know, it, we're at a place where we can be talking about it kind of as that. Yeah, you're out there planting the flagpole, so to speak. That's right. I think on that. That's right. I, I think what you said too about the biggest change since you know category management was invented. That's that's yeah. actually pretty damn profound too in terms of when you stop and think about it. Like when you're talking about that degree of change, you know, you've just got to get you know all the ducks in a row and start heading in that direction. The other harsh reality for a lot of you know, traditional retail and CPGs is that their market share is going to go down, which you know is never a comfortable uh, feeling. The execs don't but, want to um, see that. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah, but it's not that. It's but it's, just, it's a different down, though. Again, it's not the same right. type of thing, right. You're just re-baselining. It's, it's a new know, position. Yeah. That's right. right. Yeah. But if you've had this number in your mind from the beginning of time, you know. The raw number, yeah. Right. It's, um, you know, a, a change management effort. So mm. that's the other battle we're, we're fighting. All right, let's do this. How millennial are you? That was a great conversation. Now, I think, you know, this is, we, I, we haven't done this a while, in a while with a couple people too at the I same know. time. So this is going to be a blast. 
And I, I, I got to give you the honors. You're, you're the, Let's the, do the it. question asker. So All right, Liz, Natalie, we're going to play How Millennial Are You? The first question, when you're paying for groceries, are you pulling out a credit card or are you using some form of mobile payment? Apple Pay, Samsung Pay. Natalie, let's start with you. I'd have to say I'm using a credit card. However, really? well, yes. the reason, oh my the reason, not that I don't have all of those, but <laughs> my problem is it's like horrible user experience because half the time the point of sale system isn't even configured for it. So you're there with your phone and it's like, is it working? Is it not working? And by the time it decided to work or not, I already have my credit card out and Amex, you know, good marketer. So, um, I have to say, I, I use my, my credit card. Are you tapping it or are you still sliding it through? Like what, what, um, it, has tap, there? it has tap enable, but the same thing. I feel like you're not you're sure. There, I agree. You don't yeah. want to be that person that's like in front of the line, just banging the yeah. credit card on the, on the POS yeah. terminal. Okay. So I think until it's more ubiquitous, I'm going to be a credit card gal. Okay. 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 All right. Liz, what about you? I, well, I do most of my grocery shopping online. And so I am definitely one of those, like the Apple pay and the PayPal are just saved in there or shop mm -hmm. pay or whichever, whichever one they take and um, uh, just push the button. Nice. Push the button. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, that is a good lead into our next question. Um, and Liz, I think I know at least part of your answer already, but how many times in the last week have you ordered food or drinks, including groceries from an app? Liz, why don't you start? Ooh, um, often too, too often. Is that, is that no, I'll give you, this is actually moving market like a, share. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, a funny story, but also, um, maybe problematic. I, ordered the other day from Starbucks and I, because we'd run out of coffee and I was like, I must have coffee. So I ordered, it was a Postmates delivery of Starbucks and I ordered two coffees for myself and the egg bites. And I was very excited about this order. And I did one coffee for the morning and I keep the other one for the afternoon. So I, that was my, that was my plan. Well, you know, time went by, it said it had been delivered, but I didn't see it. I couldn't find it anywhere. So oh. I, you know, got in touch with Postmates and we ended up reordering it. Then about 20 minutes later, my neighbor came over and handed me a bag. So I ended up with four coffees and two egg bites. And um, yeah, unfortunately, it had been delivered to my neighbor's front door and they're very nice people. So they, they brought it back to me. But it's it's funny, it didn't have my name on it. So I don't know how they knew it was me, other than the fact that they see people come to my door many, many times a day with deliveries. Oh my gosh. And do you, and do you remember like two years ago, we were doing podcasts on whether Starbucks delivery would be a thing. And here, yes. look, where we, look where we are now. Not only coffee, but sous vide egg bites as well. Yeah, like, I love <laughs> times two, times two. Yeah, right? times two. I had two days worth. It was lovely. Yeah. It's amazing how things change. Natalie, <laughs> Natalie, what about you? Yeah. Um, I think the past week is about two times. One was a Starbucks. One was a food delivery order. I've, um, I've relocated recently in uh, November. And so I'm getting used to like who to use for what down here um, in Florida from Boston. And uh, it's very different makeup. And some of my favorite restaurants, like sometimes they will like temporarily not be available for delivery. And it's, I haven't like figured out the, the logic behind the scenes there, but um, yep, two times. 
Uber Eats okay. Fanta. Okay. All right. Although two Starbucks orders in one interview, which has that, never yeah, happened new. before, Chris. So that, that either tells you something about Starbucks or about Nielsen IQ. I don't know which. <laughs> yeah, we tend to have offices directly across from Starbucks. I don't know there yes. if there's something yes. there or there or if it's random. These are highly caffeinated. That's embedded in our muscle memory. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if we've ever had Starbucks. I don't know if we've ever no. had Starbucks actually. We've had it with like the mobile app when I go in store, but not right. Delivery. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, okay, let's close it up. Last question. Natalie, we'll start with you on this one. If you could only use one social platform, which one would it be and why? Um I feel like the one I use the most is probably Instagram. Um, however, if the question was, if all of them went away, what, which one would I want to keep? Oh, okay. Probably Facebook, which may sound, make me sound lame, but I have had my Facebook since you had to have a college email address to build an <laughs> account. And it literally has like my life cataloged there, um, at least those past, you know, decade or so. And so I, the memories I, I wouldn't want to lose lose those. Fair enough. It's pretty That's sticky. That's what we always say too. We agree with that hundred percent. What about you, Liz? So the the app that I use the most or the, the platform that I use the most by far is Twitter. Um but I feel like the one that I should be keeping an eye on, like again, if they all went away is TikTok. And I'm not nearly cool enough for TikTok and I am definitely a just a content consumer and not creator. Like you will not see me dancing on there ever, but um, there's just so much happening there. It's like, it's so interesting how much TikTok is influencing what's happening in the marketplace. And Liz, do you have anybody we should be following on, on TikTok that you love? Oh, there's a guy and I'm not going to remember his handle, but he does these, he does these amazing like songs that should that should be friends or something. And he, it's essentially mashups. And oh, he picks nice. two, so two songs that like you wouldn't expect to go together and he plays them at the same time. You must be a DJ or something, but it's, it's awesome. And I, I get like very lost. Oh yeah. Very, very lost in those, um, in those. That. Mm -hmm. that is amazing. You're going to have to follow up. We'll have to put, I will. I'll send you I'll send you his, I'll send you his, uh, I'm intrigued. Info. I'm not going to say who won this battle because, you know, no one wins in this game, really. But I'll, I'll let Liz and Natalie, you guys can talk about it amongst yourselves after it's all over. But that, 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 that was a blast. I, I never thought about it. You can almost study for this test. We've done it so many times, too. So, like, there's a whole interesting element there with that whole thing, too. But that was fun. That was a ton of fun. Well, hey, guys, that was a cool conversation, too. Like, uh you can definitely tell, like we, I think I use the term planting the flagpole in terms of like how this transformation is going to happen and how it not only literally how it should happen too. So if people, you know, want to learn more or get in touch with either of you guys, like what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So I think um, finding either of us on LinkedIn is a good way to do that. And, and we're both, we're both active on there. So you can definitely look either of us up. And then also nielseniq.com. There's a whole section on Omni and Omni solutions that um, we're continuing to update as new news is coming out from us. So definitely check that out. Well, hey, again, you've got here today Liz Buchanan and Natalie Williams, both of Nielsen IQ. For everyone listening and watching, this conversation is really just starting. Even though it feels like I said it's been taking some time to percolate, this thing is coming and it's coming fast and you're going to want to get ahead of it. So 
definitely pay attention to what we had to share here today. Keep a lookout for more content like this on this topic coming to us from OmniTalk as much as possible here. I say it every time. It's never more important than it is right now. We're getting close to coming to the end of this whole thing. Be careful out there.